my phone can count the number of steps that I take each day. Now, I know that's not a new thing, but have you ever stopped to think about how amazing that is? That you can put a little thing in your pocket and at the end of the day it can tell you exactly how many steps you took for the day. That same phone can help me order food without leaving the couch. I can sit on my couch, I can decide what I want to eat on this, little, on this little box and I can press some things and in a half an hour someone will arrive at my door with the food that I want. I don't even have to have cash to pay them. The same little box can magically send money from me to that company. Have you ever thought about how amazing that is? And we could kind of do it every day, but you think, that's really amazing. My bike knows how far I've ridden. It knows how fast I've ridden. It even knows the exact route that I've ridden. It can print out a map for me of exactly where I've been. It can even tell me how many metres of climbing I've done, how many up metres I've done over the duration of that climb. We live in a pretty amazing world when you think about it, don't we? I mean, all those things, they're very normal things. They're things that probably everyone in the room would go, oh, I can do that. But only a generation or two ago, that stuff was science fiction. If you just said that to my parents or my grandparents when they were kids, they would have looked at you like, that must be out of a movie. And yet today, it's completely normal. We live in an amazing world where so many things that were once impossible are now accessible to people, where so many things that were once impossible are now easy and normal and commonplace. (coughs) There are so many apps and products and other things that make our lives easier and make our lives better. So many, so many things that used to once be problems are no longer problems anymore. Except that none of those things solve the real problems of the world, do they? Because ordering food and saving three minutes on my commute, they're not the real problems that we have in the world, are, are they? I mean, right now, As we sit here, comfortable in suburban Adelaide, there are over 40 million people in slavery across the world. Over 40 million people held against their their will doing who knows what. And people like the World Health Organization will tell us that as much as 20% of that 40 million are children. Last year, 2022, there were over 250,000 gun deaths in the world. Over 250,000 people killed by a gun. And lots of you will know this, but the vast majority of those were killed by someone they know. These aren't ran- This is not like the movies, you know, some random person driving down the street. This is family and friends killing one another. I mean, you think with all the stuff we know about health, I mean, when I go to the doctor, there's amazing things doctors can tell us. Yet all of us are living in a world where in the last five years, a brand new little cold virus, flu virus, kills over five million people across the globe in the space of two or three years. That's kind of globally, but just just think about Australia. Last year, 
in this country, 3,249 people committed suicide. One year, one country. The government tells us that illegal drug use in Australia continues to be on the rise, which is amazing because, you know, my, I've got kids in high school and the amount of education and the amount of people that come into schools and all the programs and all the things and whatever, and yet, and yet uh, cannabis use and cocaine use and ecstasy use and the list goes on is still growing year by year. 17% of people in Australia last year reported some kind of anxiety disorder in their life. That's about one in five people, right? So look around the room, about one in five people would say in 2022, I had some kind of issue in my life with anxiety or depression or some other kind of anxiety issue. And there are some of you sitting in the room today. It's a massive issue. Our world, our country, our local community is still full of pain and hurt. And in some cases, it seems to be getting worse. I mean, there are some things that are getting better, aren't they? But it almost seems like as soon as we get better at something, well, something else gets worse. You know, as soon as we look at this and we celebrate and go, wow, look how smart we are here. Something over here goes worse. It reminds me of those plate spinning things. Have you ever seen those things at, at magic shows? We, you put a plate and a stick and they spin it and, it and then you put another one and then another one. And by the time you get four or five plates down the line, the first one's now wobbling and you've got to run back and spin that. You know what that and so it, it, you can never get them all. You can never stand back. Because as soon as one thing seems to be going well, something else is going poorly. And life kind of feels like that. It never really improves. The problems just shift. But of course, none of this is new, is it? I mean, the world's been like this for thousands of years. Some of the specific problems that we face might be new. But living with struggle and pain and brokenness and mess... That's just the human condition, isn't it? It's been like that since, like, forever. Humanity, be, humanity has been trapped in this, in this kind of cycle, as I said, words like pain and brokenness and, and misery and sadness for thousands of years. And the writers of the Bible, they call this, they draw a big circle around all of this stuff and they call it sin. Now, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I learnt that sin were the bad things you did, right? Murder was a sin. <coughs> Lying and stealing was a sin. I got told a lot that hitting my brother was a sin. <clears throat> I didn't quite get that one. It seemed reasonable to me. But, you know, that, that, that the sin were the bad things that we did. And that's right. Those things are part of creating the mess of the world that we live in. But sin, the Bible writers also use the word sin to describe the general state of the mess of the world and the mess of humanity. Sin describes the pain and the selfishness and the brokenness that is all around us. All those statistics that I read and, and many more like them, they describe the hopeless state of the sin that we all find ourselves in. It's not, not necessarily particularly about one thing that one person did, 
This is just the way the world is, that we live in a state, the Bible writers would say, of sin. 2,000 years ago, Paul wrote in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He said, God, there is, there is this state of, of sort of perfection and goodness that God lives in, and all of us fall short of that. All of us. Not, not because we've particularly done this or done that or haven't done this or haven't done that. Just all humanity falls short of that measure. 450 years before Paul lived, the writer of Ecclesiastes wrote virtually the same thing. A hundred years before that, you can read virtually the same thing quoted in the book of 1 Kings in your Bible. And more than a thousand years or more before that, the writer of Genesis wrote this right back in the very beginning of our Bible story, Genesis 8.21. He writes, Every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. The New Living Translation, another translation of the, uh, of the original scripture of the Bible, uh, translates it this way. It says, The human race, everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. From the beginning of time, people have understood that our world is broken, that humanity is broken, is a mess, is in pain. And we don't need to read the Bible, right, to know that. We all know that, don't we? I mean, all of us have, have things in our past, hurtful things, painful things that we've done to one another or have been part of doing to other people. All of us have suffered from painful and hurtful things that other people have done to us. Either individual people or the, the sort of the system, the, the places we work, the schools we go to. All of us have got those stories, right? All of us, to some degree, whether it's a, a big deal to you or not, but all of us know what it is to live with pain and anxiety and stress that just comes from living in a messed up, broken world, don't we? So there's two things you could be thinking at this point. One is this is a little bit depressing. <clears throat> and the second is I thought we were supposed to be talking about Christmas. <laughs> Christmas is a positive time, isn't it? You know, love and joy and peace. You know, we celebrate the, the birth of Jesus and there's a cute baby and fluffy animals, you know, in the manger. It's <clears throat> we should be talking about that stuff, right? Why are we talking about pain and hurt and failure and death? Here's the thing as we head into Christmas. The first Christmas wasn't a nice, neat family celebration. There were no carols. There was no roast. No one sent cards with love and peace and joy written on the front of them. The first Christmas happened not because the world was in a great place. The first Christmas happened because people, humanity, was lost in this state of sin. That's why Christmas happened. The world was hurting. The, the situation seemed hopeless. People were desperate. And no matter what people were trying, things didn't seem to get better. It was that spinning plate thing. No matter how we tried to make things perfect, something was always wobbly. 
And the first Christmas is a solution to that sin that we find ourselves in. Matthew was one of Jesus' uh, early followers, first followers. And uh, after the death and the resurrection, the crucifixion of Jesus, some years later, as as an older man, he sits down to write a biography of Jesus. He wants to capture everything that he's seen, the stories that he's heard as he's been around Jesus. And he writes the birth story. He obviously wasn't there for the birth story, but he's picked these things up from others who were over the journey. And, And Matthew begins the birth story with a dream that Joseph had. Joseph is in Mary and Joseph. God comes to Joseph in a dream and Matthew writes this. The God says to Joseph, Mary will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sin. Lots of us don't know this, but the name Jesus... Because it was a common name, right? We just, I mean, no one calls their kids Jesus now, but Jesus was a common name in the biblical time. And, and, and it means the Lord saves. So, what God's really saying to Joseph in the dream is your uh, fiance, Mary's going to give birth to a son, and you're going to give him the name the Lord saves because that's what he's going to do. He's going to save people from their sins. So, that's the name that you should give him. The birth of Jesus is about saving people, individuals, communities and the whole world about saving us from the sin that we're in. And I know as we sit here and lots of us, you know, thinking about Christmas, it's only a couple of weeks away and Christmas ticks a lot of boxes for us, right? You know, for some of us, Christmas really ticks the family box hard. We love Christmas. That's one of the reasons we love Christmas, because the family gets together. For some of us, it might be the only time that our, our family, our extended family, get together for Christmas. For some of us, you know, we've got, uh, it'll be the time when, when, when kids come back from interstate or when, when parents fly in from somewhere. We love Christmas because it ticks the family box. For some of us, uh, we love Christmas because it ticks the holiday box. You know, and I just, we just, it's a week or two away from work. And I was just talking to someone this morning, they're packing up the caravan and they can't wait for that. You know, and Christmas ticks that box and we say, that's what, that's one of the things that we love about Christmas. For some of us, Christmas ticks the shopping box. It's the once a year where you just, you're allowed to shop like a maniac and it's okay, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us love buying gifts for other people. We love receiving gifts. We just love that part of Christmas, being able to express our love to those around us with gifts and and that whole thing. Some of us, Christmas just ticks that box. Living in Australia, for some of us, Christmas ticks the box that says, I get to go to the beach with my friends. You know, I just can't wait that. You know what it's like. Yeah, that, you know, like Christmas is like, I got four or five days, me and my friends can just go. It ticks that box. For others, it it ticks, and this won't be for everyone, but for some of us, Christmas ticks the box that says, I can sit down and watch a whole day of test cricket and not feel bad about myself. Yeah, you know. (coughs) Yeah, yeah. I, I have a member of my extended family uh, um, and, and he will say that he'll get through Christmas and you can ask him to do whatever on Christmas. You can ask him to do whatever on the 27th, 28th, 29th, but the 26th is his day, Boxing Day. 
and he will sit down in front. It's a tradition for him personally. He will sit down in front of the test cricket on the 26th and no one better ask him to do anything on that day because that's his one day of the year. That's the box that Christmas ticks for him. But I want to tell you that the first Christmas didn't tick any of those boxes for anyone. There was only one box that the first Christmas came here to tick and that was the deals with my sin box. Deals with the mess that the world is in tick. That's the only box that the first Christmas came to tick. And lots of people talk about the true meaning of Christmas. But I want to tell you today that if you really want to understand the true meaning of Christmas, you have to start with sin. You have to start with your own sin, with the sin that is in your life, the things that you don't like to talk about that you've done and you think and that you still do and you think. You need to start with your sin, with the sin of the world, with the mess and the brokenness and the hurt that is all around us. Some of it's your fault, some of it's the fault of other people, you know, and some of it doesn't seem to be anyone's fault, it's just that the world's messed up, right? You have to start looking at the sin that is all around us. And you have to admit, and we don't like to do this, you have to admit that you're just not a very nice person. I'm not a very nice person. I know that will come as a big shock to many of you, but I'm really not. I'm a selfish, greedy, angry, nasty little man. I am. And you are. And no matter how hard I try, I can't seem to escape that. It's the spinning plates in my own life. Just when I think I'm doing good with my kids, I've messed up with my wife. Just when I get over here and spin that and I think it's doing good, I realise I failed in my job. But you'll know what that's like. No one likes to admit that. You know, we don't want to wear a T-shirt going, you know, I'm a walking mess. But we are. We are drowning in our own sin. And if you really want to understand how amazing Christmas is, you have to get to that point in your own life where you can say in all honesty, God, help me. I can't do this on my own. I'm drowning and I need help. And then we wait. Because Christmas is a waiting game. I don't mean like waiting for presents and waiting for lunch and, you know, waiting for school holidays. We're waiting for God to do something about sin. When we come into these weeks leading up for Christmas and we're waiting for Christmas, this is, this is the moment where followers of Jesus are sort of sitting. They say, I'm waiting for the celebration of the day when God came to do something about sin, about my sin, about the sin of people around me, about sin that the whole world finds itself in. Do you ever watch Carols by Candlelight or any of those sort of things? However those things go, whether you like them or not, there's always a point in those things where someone will stand up and say something like, as we're here tonight, let's remember those people who are doing it tough this Christmas. You know that thing? And then they'll usually talk about the homeless or they'll talk about people who are without family or or people who've lost someone this year. You know the speech, you know the way it goes. But, But the truth is, 
that when you want to talk about people who are doing it tough this year, the truth is that's actually all of us, isn't it? The truth is that we are all lost in our sin. We are all dealing with the consequences of our own brokenness. We're all living with the mess that we've made of things. We're all living with pain and hurt because of someone else's mess. We're all living with regrets or broken dreams. And, you know, some of, I know some of our young people are going, I don't have regrets yet. You will. It's okay. Just trust me. You'll <laughs> get old like us and you'll have regrets and broken dreams. That's kind of the way things go. And for you, it might be in the area of relationships. You might be looking at your year going, you know, my, my relationships, I, I, I wish I had a boyfriend or a girlfriend and I don't. I wish I had a better boyfriend and girlfriend. I wish my husband wasn't like this. I wish my wife was like that. Maybe for you, it comes out of your job and, and you're just not fully sort of satisfied in the work that you do. You hate school. Maybe for you it's about physical pain and, you know, there are, there are people living, uh, living with, if you like, the sin of physical pain. Again, not because they've done anything wrong, but just because that's the way our world works and there are people who are struggling with that every day. There are people living with financial mess and, and, and every day for you is a struggle to find the money that you need to do the things that you need to do and want to do with your, your life and your family. And it seems everyone else seems to have money. Why don't I? You know, it, it always works out for everyone else. What about me? There's people dealing with health, health issues and people dealing with loneliness. We're all broken and lost, right? We're all waiting for someone to come and save us. We're all hoping that someone will reach out a hand and do for us what we can't seem to do for ourselves and lift us out of the sin and mess and brokenness that is our life and is the world that we live in. And I know that the world wants to tell you that GPS-enabled cars and, and food deliveries and online shopping with your phone, that that's the solution, right? And it's going to make the world better and it's all going to be okay. But we know that that doesn't fix it, right? Those things are good, but they don't fix the deep stuff that's happening in us and around us. We're all stuck in our sin and we're all waiting for a saviour. Christmas is a waiting game. And Christians for thousands of years have celebrated Christmas because we're celebrating the end of that waiting game. We're celebrating the day that hope arrived, the day that a saviour arrived and people would go, finally. 700 years before the first Christmas, one man dreamed of the end of this waiting his name was Isaiah and God showed him a vision of what was going to come. It took 700 years. He never saw it. But he would write down the vision that God gave him. You might have heard this. It goes something like this. Isaiah writes, The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. God's right here with us. When we use words like love and joy and peace at Christmas, 
It's not because you're going to have a great time with your family. That's not what love and joy and peace means. It's not because your holidays are destined to be perfect and relaxing and brilliant. That's not what love and joy and peace at Christmas is about. It's not because the weather's going to be terrific or because you're just going to look at your gifts at the end of Christmas and go, I did really well this year. It's not to do with any of that, right? It's because something is about to happen that will provide you and me with a way out of the mess that we're in, with a way out of the sadness and the pain and the uncertainty and the anxiety that just is living in the world today. Someone is coming to save us from that. Someone is coming to save us from the sin that we're stuck in. That person is going to bring joy to a world that is full of sadness. That person is going to bring love to a world that's full of hate. That that person is going to bring peace to a world that is full of violence and war. That's what love and joy and peace are about at Christmas. That's the good news of Christmas. That the wait is over. That hope has arrived. That a saviour is here. Now, if you want to know who the Saviour is, you'll just have to come back next week and I'm going to talk about it then. All right? 